This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. In this episode, I sit down with Eric Hunley from the Unstructured Podcast to talk about podcasting, getting to speak with some of the people he looks up to, running, and so much more. This is going to be a good conversation. So get pumped because this is Tiny Leaps. Big change. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, I am sitting down with uh, someone who uh, has been in my network, in my world, in my sort of extended space for a little while now, uh, definitely all of 2018, but I'm, I'm pretty sure most, if not all of 2017 as well. And um, he has very quickly become someone that I am incredibly thankful to, to have connected with uh, in person, to have, have been a guest on his show and uh, listening to his show myself. He's, he's one of the rare people in podcasting and in uh, content creation who has the ability to take something that has no clear selling point and no clear uh, thing that it's trying to be and turn it into something interesting and entertaining. And so in this episode, uh, I definitely want to start out by talking about that, talking about the show and learning a bit more about him as a broadcaster and as a content creator, because I think there's so much that we can all learn from the talented people who do the kind of work that Eric does. So Eric Conley, how are you doing, man? Wow, I'm I am completely pumped after after that intro. I feel like I need to hang up really quickly. <laughs> well, I meant every every single word of it. I mean, coming into this call, I was uh, listening through your show just to sort of keep everything fresh in my mind, and um, it just struck me. The show is called Unstructured. And I remember the very first time, I, I think I saw your name on like a, a Facebook comment somewhere. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a cool name, but it doesn't tell me anything about the show. <laughs> and um, I was actually wrong. Like I was wrong about that because you stick to that concept. You stick to this idea of uh, sort of unmoderated conversations with really, really fascinating people. Um, 
what, what, what is that where you were going for when you first had the, the concept for the show? Yeah, I originally actually, well, I've, it took me 10 years to launch. So I, oh, wow. I wanted, yeah, I, I was a fan of Leo Laporte and Twit and, you know, early podcasts of those days. And I was like, oh, I'd like to do that, but never really had the nerve. Then I got involved with running. Um, lost some weight and I was going to have a running podcast, but I, I never really got off the ground. I just bought equipment. That was my way of progressing. I just buy another piece of equipment. And I think that deep down, I just realized I would get bored that talking about running while I love it and I'm interested in it. Honestly, there's about 30 variations of a story and that will involve an athlete and running. They either ran in high school and moved on or they lost weight or they did this and, and they're inspirational, but it's still, I would lose interest. And I knew to keep going on a show, I had to have something that would be interesting to me. And so I got involved with a community, um, mixed middle arts because Sam Harris on Joe Rogan complained about another guest. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I have a peculiar personality. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, let me go look up this other guest. Because I saw him on the feed before and he meant nothing to me, so I ignored it. So I watched it. I was like, well, he's not that bad. And it turned out it was Hunter Motts, who is partnered with Brian Callen. So then when I looked up the Brian Callen show, I realized, oh, my God, these guys have talked to all these major authors like uh, John Rady and Lawrence Lessig and, you know, uh, Jonathan Haidt. I mean, these are giant authors who I read, who I'm very interested in, you know, kind of modern thinkers. I'm sort of into Freakonomics and things. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. So I got into that, got into the community and people in the community are really some high level intellectuals, much smarter than me. And I then sort of spun off thinking, well, I want to be around a lot of cool different people but I'm not as bright. So I sort of wanted to come up with an idea pub, mm-hmm. if you will. So anyone could come in, sit down, and you would tell me, what do you do? Well, why? You know, just like you're having a beer with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. That's and and that's definitely uh, something that I think a lot of people have tried. I mean, myself, I uh, my second show that I ever uh, worked on, that I ever uh, hosted, was a show called Casual Conversations with Awesome People. And it was this oh, cool. concept. I wanted to have sort of uh, these, these unrestricted conversations with people doing really interesting things. Um, and I actually started from this place of, if I could talk to any of the people I look up to about anything other than the thing they are known for, uh, where would that Mm. conversation go? And the struggle I found in doing that show, I did it for a season and then uh, moved away from it. The struggle I found was in keeping the conversations interesting and, and sort of uh, keeping it in this place of, not having the guests sort of regurgitate all of the things that they've said everywhere else. Uh, So I'm curious how you've navigated that because you have done a really good job with it. I I think the way you deliver your show and the the interviews you've done have been uh, excellent and, and and really, really um, they've done a really good job to get me at least, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, to get me curious about certain things that I wouldn't be otherwise. 
And, and I'm curious to know how you've navigated that, how you develop that style. Um, it's constantly evolving, but I would say the baseline was to start off with research. Um, and my main research is listening to them interview on other shows. And you are correct. A lot of guests, especially some big ones, um, have their talking points. Mm -hmm. And they go over them and over them and over them. Now, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but the hosts tend to have their locked-in questions, too. Right. And what happens is you have a guest who's regurgitating, great term you use, by the way, their talking points, and then you have a host that's moving to the next question. And they're not necessarily communicating. Right, they're just talking. So one thing that I look for immediately is a lot of times the guests will just say a little bit more in an answer. And the host just leaves it there and drops it. It's like, wait a minute. He just said he, he hasn't swim since his sister died and she was two or something like that. That's not an exact example, but I, I hear him drop these things. I'm like, why aren't you chasing that? Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So I note those. That's one of the first things I have is, you know, a list of anything um, I can think of. A, a good example of that would be uh, Professor James Fallon. He is uh, famous for being the uh, neurologist. He reads brain scans and he discovered patterns of psychopaths in brain scans. And he could pick them up by the colors. And the colors are representative of if it's, you know, like an orangey yellow color, that means activity. If it's kind of blue, that means that that part of the brain is dead. And you can see dead parts of the brain and say, oh, there's a psychopath. Mm. Well, he had, you know, of course, a psychopath brain scans at the office, but he was also studying an Alzheimer's you know, or he's doing an Alzheimer's study with brain scans. And to have a control group, he and his family, of course, you know, got scans. So you could have normal people mixed in. Well, he was going through the um, Alzheimer's scans and discovered, hey, one of these is a psychopath. What's a psychopath doing in here? Ha ha ha. So he's very famous for that story because that psychopath turned out to be him. Right. Well, in the, all the interviews with him, that's what's covered over and over and right. over. And at the start of the interview, before we went on, I just said, are you getting tired of that story? And he's like, yes, but you know, it's your show. I'll perform for you. I'm like, no, I, I want to do something different. So we went on an adventure and I started asking him questions about um, brain cent or, um, centers of the brain that tie into language and why um, if you're up to 12 years old, you won't have an accent if you have a foreign language. But if after that point, you will always have an accent. And it's because of the part of the brain that's actually used for language and all this, you know, great material. I mean, he is a genius and an expert. And then he had cast an aside on a previous show. I know this is a shaggy dog version, but I am getting to it. Um, and the aside was that George Carlin was a family friend. <laughs> so I seized on that because the host just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never mention it. So I was like, what's up with that? So then I got this great story about how George Carlin would be calling him randomly just saying, Jim, Jim, I'm going crazy. And how he, he thought that he um, might have dementia or, or problems. And um, James Fallon would go to Carlin's shows for him when he was working on new material and he would scout the crowd and test the reactions on the material and things like that, 
which I thought was just fascinating. Yeah. And it's never been, never been discussed anywhere. So that's kind of what I try to do. And I most of all really try to listen. And it, it sounds silly, but it, it is mm-hmm. so important. Just listen. Is it, you know, are they leaving something there? Is there something more? Can we dig just a little bit more? Anyway, that's, yeah, I guess my methodology. Yeah. And that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it, and it, I think that comes through very clearly in the, those interviews. Um, so I, I want to, I don't want this episode to become a masterclass on podcasting, but I do need <laughs> to, to dive into something you mentioned earlier because the number one question I get from my listeners and I, I can open my Instagram DMS right now. There's, five, six, seven of these messages. Mm-hmm. What was your motivation for starting? And more importantly, what allowed you to push through the process of starting? Uh, and, and I've answered this question a ton of times on the show. I've done an entire series on podcasting. As you know, that is my specialty. But sure. you mentioned in the beginning here that this show is 10 years in the making. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about... Uh, what finally got you to sit sit down and record after just buying gear for however long, and um, and and before that, what do you think were sort of the the big things holding you back from just going with it? Um, couple things. I'm obviously uh, fear, and then imposter syndrome. Of course, immediately set in even while I was doing it. So those would be my biggest holdbacks, Mm -hmm. you know, who am I to do it? Whatever. But what inspired me to go was I'm tired of everybody else talking to these really cool people. I want to talk to them. Mm. And the only way I'm going to be able to talk to them is if I can build my platform, if I can build myself up, then they may accept and I'll I'll start small. I will, you know, talk to anybody who's cool or interesting because those are the basic rules of the show. It's a, it's a simple standard. I want to talk to someone who either does something cool or they are really cool. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. So I want to dive a little bit deeper here because I, I think, and, and I might be proven wrong, but I think there might be uh, something else going on because there's these two ideas that I hear all the time with, with new podcasters or bloggers or people who want to do video or anyone trying to make anything ever. Um, there is this piece of, I want to, like, I'm tired of this. I want to do this. Uh, but then there is this, this, equally strong, but very opposite thing of, well, who am I to do that? Uh, And, and so I'm curious, you had the imposter syndrome and that held you back for 10 years. Still do. And, and still does. But, but noticeably you have a show, you are very many episodes into that show and and that show is doing pretty well. Um, and, and so I, I, I I can't help but wonder if there was an event or a specific interview or something, some opportunity that came up that pushed you over that edge between the, the equal but opposite forces of I want to, and who am I to? Um, I think it was being in the crowd of mixed mental arts 
They're, you know, like I said, they're very, very, very smart people. Much smarter than I am. At the same time, they're very stupid. Mm. <laughs> that probably doesn't make sense, but they're intellectual, but the common sense thread doesn't always run through with them. Right. And I'm, I'm 48 now. So I'm a bit older, I'm a bit more mature, and I'm able to, I guess, hang in there in conversations with them. So that kind of made me feel like, well, you know what? I, I you know, I talk to Hunter all the time. He, he was very, very um, helpful. I mean, he was very supportive. He actually kind of helped push me into doing the show. And even when I started, I was very, very timid, you know, who, uh, who can I get or whatever. So there was that, um, you know, the imposter syndrome, of course, but a lot of it was, is just momentum, just, uh, um, uh, it's good enough. Go, it's good enough. Go give me, I got another show. I got to get another show. I got to get another show. So I, I, I've said this, you know, before it's, I, I kind of am like a shark in it. I, I'm just always chasing the next show. So I, I don't really look back at myself too much mm -hmm. because I probably won't like it <laughs> truthfully. So it's easier for me to just go forward, go forward, go forward, go forward, and hopefully let the momentum um, carry me forth. Now, as far as just launching, even that took a few months of going back and forth. There was somebody else I was going to try to have as a co-host because then I felt like I could uh, tiptoe in there and I'd have somebody there to help hold my hand or, you know, I could bounce off of, but some actions took place that angered me. So I guess I would say that I launched out of the whole thing of no, you know what? This is my show, my idea. I'm just going to do it. Mm. As many of you know, over the last year and a half, I've been hard at work putting together the tiny leaps, big changes book. That's right. I said, book. Well, now that book is available for pre-order. And if you're interested, you can order it by going to www.tinyleapsbook.com. On this podcast, I've always tried to help you change your life by focusing on the specific behaviors you can take each and every day. The problem with this strategy is that it only works if you do. Unless you take the behaviors, unless you do stuff, nothing changes. Well, in the book, I set out to solve this problem. I start with a simple question. Why is it that we all know what we need to do to accomplish our goals, but are unable to do it? I then explore this question through the lens of human behavior. I interview experts, comb through psychological studies, and present real-world scenarios. The result creates a viable solution to bridging the gap between knowledge and action and creating the life you've always wanted. So if this sounds like something you want to read, and you definitely, definitely should, head over to www.tinyleapsbook.com right now to pre-order your copy. In addition to, to, it sounds like some external uh, encouragement from, from Hunter, uh, sure. there was also this, this potential need to, to uh, take control of this thing that you wanted to make that, that maybe was spiraling out of control with, with the co-host. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. 
it, it was a, a co-host and other people. It was uh, essentially, I, I was doing the podcast and then a whole nother project got lopped onto it. And I didn't want anything to do with the other project. I, mm-hmm. I felt like what I had come up with and what I had discussed was this particular podcast and all these voices or these things were coming in that were diluting what I felt was a very pure concept. Mm-hmm. And at that point, and it, it probably helped me because I got angry. I just realized that the only way I can actually control what is going on is by doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a history. I was in a band way back in the nineties, um, was a bass player. Well, the lead singer, lead guitarist quit the band. The band was no more. And that broke my heart probably forever. So there is a, a side of me that's saying, I will never depend on anybody. Got it. So, so on this show, one of the things I try to do, and, and you guys listening know this, um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the gap between knowledge and action. And so with, uh, with this podcast, for example, it, it was something that you're working towards for 10 years. You, you probably knew a lot of what needed to happen as far as like the actions to, to make it happen. Um, and then thanks to sort of a culmination of various different factors, those things from a psychological point of view, from a behavioral point of view, pushed you to finally take that action. And, and what I'm hoping that uh, listeners can walk away with is that you've heard my story on this. I I've always been the type of person who has an idea and needs to do it immediately. That is that the, the, that is a, 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 strength that I have and also a weakness because the downside of that is I never do anything for long enough to, to make it be successful because I, I just lose interest very quickly. Um, and, and so what I'm hoping you can walk away from this conversation with is the understanding that each person has to sort of navigate that process for themselves. Um, just because you aren't the type of person who immediately acts the way that I do and, and to a, a fault sometimes uh, does not mean that you can still start your thing. You just sort of have to find that, that cocktail of, of things that finally pushes you to, to take that action. Um, so Eric, I, you mentioned in the beginning of this that one thing you are considering was uh, launching a show around running, but that the stories have sort of already been told there. Uh, it's, it's a little limited. There, there, there's not that many variations of things to explore. Uh, right. Tell me a little bit about what that show would have been like had you created it. Um, and uh, on a, a broader scale, uh, sort of how you got involved in the world of running. Sure. Um, the show, if I created it, would be pretty similar to what I'm doing here. Um, only it would be obviously niched way down. I would be interviewing you know, potentially other runners or triathletes because I'd, I would have immediate, immediately expanded out to endurance athletes to try to get a little more interesting. Mm. Um, and it would be about training methods. Hey, what works for you? How do you, um, how do you overcome this? Do you, do you like Canovo as a method or Jack Daniels? What, you know, what, what kind of training method here? Do you believe in um, fat burning as your main fuel or are you, you know, big into carbs? Um, how are you with the diet? Uh, are you um, 
like Matt Fitzgerald who wrote diet cults where you kind of like, look, whatever is a uh, culturally appropriate diet for you, you just eat and move on. Are you paleo? Are you a vegan? You know, different, different variants there. Mm -hmm. But honestly, that it would get kind of repetitive to me because it's really narrowed down. Mm -hmm. And when I was running, essentially getting into running, uh, that's a, an interesting long journey, but I ran in the army because I was forced to, it was always a punitive mm -hmm. in my mind. So I made, of course, because I was younger and stupider, I made the proclamation when I got out, I'm never running again. And for several years, I was a smoker and everything else. I didn't run. I quit smoking, started gaining weight from like 2005 to 2012 and got up to 283 pounds and decided to just drop some weight. So I started walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and, you know, diet, you know, better diet, things like that. And started to get the weight off. And it's an interesting story, but have you heard of the band Deep Purple? I have, but I've never listened. Okay, well, they've got one famous song, Smoke on the Water, which I can't yeah, really yeah, stand. Yeah. But their early stuff were these 20-minute jams. They were really impressive. Now, I did not know about these jams, but for whatever reason, in the summer of 2012, the uh, keyboardist, John Lord, died. And on a whim, I was like, well, let me go listen to you know some of his stuff out of respect. He's sort of a rock legend. And I did, and I discovered these just amazing, amazing jam sessions. And I was out walking and listening to it, and it got me so hyped, I ran a couple blocks. Mm -hmm. And then I go back to walking and then running. And then I actually decided to start to incorporate that into the walking. And I ran, or, you know, walked, ran, walked, ran. Then I decided to play games with myself. It's like, okay, well, let me see if I can run a mile. And I got to the point, run a mile. Then it was the army PT test is two miles. Let me see if I can do that. Work my way up to that. Then it was, well, a 5K is 3.1 miles. Let me see if I can do that. And I went ahead and did that over time. Um, trained poorly, but I just started running faster and faster. And, and I thought that was how you run. Was you just run as hard as you can, as quick as you can. Um, then I saw my nephew... He ran in high school and in college. And he said, you know, for a 40-something-year-old, you're actually pretty quick. And since, you know, you're running with old people, you might be able to do well in a race. So it was definitely a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but I took it. And I started entering, you know, races, like, you know, 5Ks. And I actually would, you know, age group. So I'd be in the top, you know, top three of my age group, which is 40, 40 to 44 at the time. And I got, you know, bit by the bug, kept doing it, kept extending, kept extending, uh, ran, you know, half marathon in training, ran a half marathon race, um, ran injured, unfortunately. I never completely recovered from it, but that spawned into, I don't even know how many half marathons, 10 K's and then four marathons and a 50 K. Wow. So how, 
this is running is always such an interesting, uh, and I guess any sort of physical, uh, exercise has the same story, but, um, running specifically is always so interesting to me because it really embodies sort of the tiny leaps philosophy in so many ways. I mean, you just took us through this story of, uh, starting to walk out of, out of the desire to, to drop some pounds and, and, uh, just casually walking and, and that's it. And end of the story, you're running 50 Ks for marathons. Like that is such an incredible progression that is, I find is, is really hard for people to understand happens in all of life. Like that's how goal setting works. That's how you accomplish big things is, is sort of this progressive approach to it, but it's made so crystal clear in something like running or weightlifting oh, yeah. or, or, or training for sort of any physical thing. Um, have you found, um, I'm curious, have you found that getting back into running has that, that discipline of sort of approaching it with a, a very progressive approach to it, that that's carried over into any other areas of your life? Oh, it's life changing in the sense that when you're running, not only, uh, not only am I accomplishing things that I never thought I'd be able to do, but it also balances your, your chemicals out. As, mm-hmm. as strange as that sounds, but it does, it does change your brain chemistry and things like that to where you find yourself calmer. You find yourself, um, or I find myself more comfortable. And I, I would say that running the marathons actually helped give me the uh, bravery to do the podcast. Right. Direct parallel because, well, I could do that. I, I could do the marathon. Well, I could be a podcaster. Okay. I'll suck at first. You got to suck before you get good. You can't run a marathon without running a mile. So there's direct parallels mm-hmm. in life. Absolutely. It is very empowering to accomplish anything and to go through stages. Plus you see there's a process and you figure, okay, then there's a process to doing everything. I just have to find what that process might be. Mm-hmm. When you uh, when you first started getting back into running, so you, you mentioned that you uh, originally ran as part of uh, PT, and right, um, there was always this punitive aspect to it. I wonder was there was there any uh, anything you had to work through? when you first started as far as thinking about it as a punishment versus something you enjoy? Um, well, when I, when I started basic training, I, I was an asthmatic as a kid mm. or it was actually allergy driven asthma type reaction. But, um, when I started basic training, I did one mile in, I think it was 12 and a half minutes. When I finished basic training, I did two miles in 11 minutes and 50 seconds. Wow. Um, on two sprained ankles, but it's not like I enjoyed it. You know, we were forced to run. Mm -hmm. I I was decent at it and that, that was good, I guess, but I, I didn't like it. You know, um, I, I don't know that many of us really did like it. So I'm not, I'm not sure where I'm going with it. I, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm just curious because I found I, I did an episode uh, somewhat recently. Um, actually 
have lost track of time, so I'm not sure how long ago it was, but uh, it was an episode on uh, this idea of like self-discipline. And I've always right. struggled with keeping myself disciplined because it has this punitive sort of connotation to it. Um, because sure. I think of it as discipline, like punishment, uh, I, I subconsciously avoid it. And I'm just wondering whether or not since your first real introduction to running was in this punitive environment, uh, when you picked it back up later on in life, did you ever have that, that resistance to it that may have come from it being sort of associated with punishment or forced? You know, no, I think that that was the surprising thing to me is I would have thought it, but I was in control. So, but maybe it was, you know, it's almost the opposite because it was like, no, I'm choosing to do this stupid as I am. <laughs> and, and that's the, the funny part about running because I'm not going to say that, Oh wow. I get high running. No, it sucks. Much of the time it sucks, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's really good. So I'm chasing it like a junkie who's chasing that one good run. Yeah. But, um, as far as it, the external, no, I think that I, I was responding in the sense that, Hey, finally, I'm, I'm choosing to do this, whatever. Um, you can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's fascinating. So one of the things I talk about in my book is this idea of, um, identifying as the type of person who does whatever the thing is that you're trying to do. And, right. uh, and, and how until that identity is established or at least some percentage established, it's very difficult to get yourself to take action on it. But once that shift happens, uh, that's when you act in accordance with the way you think of yourself. And so taking action, like going to the gym or saving or whatever it is, that's easy if you are the type of person who does that. Um, and I almost wonder, uh, hearing this, I almost wonder if because the choice was yours, like it was something you owned, uh, you were taking ownership of that identity. You were sort of incorporating it with your sense of self and, and that made it much less uh, difficult to, to sort of uh, follow through with. Yeah, it's, it is weird. It's, and it sort of sneaks up on you too. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, I, I was just walking and then I happened to do the running. It's like, well, you know what? I did running back then. I bet you, I wonder if I could do that again. Yeah. But I wonder if I'm capable. And then what is it? You know, you, you do something for two weeks or four weeks or whatever it is, then it's a habit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had steps on the way. I feel that helped encourage me. Like I did accomplish the 5k and then I would just extend a little, a little, little. Now if I didn't get with my, my nephew, and, you know, it was pretty nice being an old man who was able to, you know, outrun his nephew. It was like, you know, 17 years younger. Right. That's the ego stroke. But then when he told me, hey, um, at your age and stuff, you're actually pretty good. Well, that fed my ego. It was like, really? Well, that could give me something to work toward. And, mm-hmm. and then I was, you know, racist. It's like, oh, I can work toward racist. And also during this, this time, um, I, I'm in love with podcasts and audiobooks, things like that. Right. And so it gives you an opportunity to, 
Exactly. That's fascinating. And I'm even hearing, um, and, and uh, we're, we're going to sort of uh, wrap this up in a, a bit here, but I'm even hearing sure. some, some elements of what uh, Cal Newport discusses in his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. Uh, so for those of you who haven't read it, highly recommend it. Uh, but the whole concept of the book is sort of exploring the role that passion plays in enjoyment of our careers. And I've always felt after reading it that he frames it through career, but it really holds true for anything that you do in, in your life. And he finds that when you have these four criteria, uh, you, you are much more likely to enjoy the thing that you are doing and, and find uh, joy from it. One of them is a sense of mastery and a sense of, of competence. Um, and the, this, this, Hearing sort of almost like along the way, like you're, you're looking for these like ego stroke moments and that's catapulting you to the next and, and the things you accomplish and so on and so forth. That's almost like satisfying that sense of mastery that just reinforces uh, the, the idea in your head that you enjoy this. Um, even if maybe when you started, you didn't enjoy it uh, through accomplishing things, you start to enjoy it. Right. And I've learned over time and it's hard to put it together, but I don't, I don't strive for happiness. I strive for satisfaction. Mm. That's good. And it's a big difference because I'm not happy that much. I don't think anyone is. Mm -hmm. I mean, happy is, Ooh, it's my birthday. Okay. Well that's done. But if I run and it's a bad run even, but I finish, I'm satisfied. Yeah. I feel like I accomplished that. That's really, really good. Eric, this has been a, uh, a, a super fun conversation for me. I, I really appreciate you, you uh, spending some time with us, sharing uh, your, your experiences in life and, and uh, just how you've sort of navigated things. Uh, where can we find the show? Where can we connect with you? And, and how should we best do that? Hey, it's a total honor being on here. And you can find the show unstructured, I think, in every player out there. And you can follow me on social media or find me on social media as unstructured P, as in podcast. Again, everywhere. Got it. So wherever you are listening to this show, just do yourself a favor, do a quick search unstructured. Uh, listen to quite honestly, you could close your eyes and pick at random. Every episode I've listened to so far has had something in it that has sort of sparked my curiosity and interest. And that's always the most fun for me. And I know you guys love that too. So uh, search unstructured wherever you are listening to this. Eric, thank you again so much for your time. And for those of you listening, Thank you for your time. I, I'm always blown away by the fact that you are willing to share any of it with me and, and the people that I bring on. So, so I thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for being here. Uh, remember to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. That's the best way to make sure you never miss a new episode. Leave a review and a rating if you feel so inclined. I'd love to hear your feedback, what I can improve, what I'm doing well, so on and so forth. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.